Welcome to the first ever episode of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's finally here. It's been in the works. It's been being planned for months now, trying to yes. get everything together. And we are finally here. My name is Dan Ball. This and is Tyler Brocious. Yeah. I mean, I think it's been a long time. It's always been something that we've talked about and we have a lot of fun. And today, there's somebody else in the studio. Matt McAuliffe joins us as the brand new co-host of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast. Matt, how are you? I'm smiling from year to year. <laughs> I got some uh, size 18 shoes to fill. Wow. It's all about hitting the reset button. <laughs> the fact that I hit record and that was the first thing that we caught, yeah. we already know where this is going. Double nickel himself. Double 50, nickel. 55 <laughs> points. So, so yeah, we, we got wind over the weekend that, you know, there was um, a, a big game going on for Quinnipiac basketball. Something good might have happened to you. I'm, I'm not positive <laughs> yeah, which, exactly what which it was. Which was it? Could you remind us again? Yeah. <laughs> so now we're on the side of a road. I don't know what time it was. And we waited. It could have been three, four, five hours for another bus. So finally, another bus comes. We transfer buses. You know, that was, let's say it's four hours. And then we get another six hours to drive. Um, so we, we get into Mississippi and um, le- my legs were just shot. I was like, what am I doing here? Like, what am I doing with my life? This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Number 12, is there a story behind it? Oh, a huge story. Okay. Oh, all right. See, I, I thought I'd ask. It? Yeah, what's the number 12, the reason why you have it? Um, I actually walked into this locker room. And that was my number. <laughs> That's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I was I would never. Wow, you sold that. Yeah. Oh sold my that God. so well. I was ready. I was ready. I was ready for like a, well, my grandfather had it. When he <laughs> had it. <laughs> I would never pick number 12. Who wears number 12? It's <laughs> why I asked. What's up and welcome back. It is episode number 51 of The Roar. I'm Dan Ball. I'm Matt McAuliffe. And this is the first time that we've been back in the studio with the new name, the new brand of the podcast. What's up and welcome back. It is episode number 53 of the Roar podcast presented by Quinnipiac Athletics. I'm Dan Ball. And I'm Matt McAuliffe. And Matt, you know, uh, I, we should really apologize to the listeners. You know, we've been, we've been a little bit lax. We've been a little bit slacking on this podcast recently. Yeah, but uh, I hope the audience cuts us some slack because the entire world was on pause. <laughs> so please forgive us if we haven't been able to... Um, interview as many athletes as you would like because unfortunately none of them were on campus yeah so matt's exactly right we do apologize for for not being with you the last couple months but our lives and the lives of everybody in the entire world have basically come to a halt so uh we're grateful though for the quinnipiac office of athletic communications for giving us one more chance uh to put together an episode to kind of to go out and finish our our two-year stint on this podcast 
Um, and we got a pretty good one coming up today, Matt. What would you say? Yeah, I'm super excited to talk about our top five moments. Uh, being the host of this podcast, we have an awesome, awesome interview about uh, an a-, a former athlete on the front lines and uh, just really a lot of good laughs coming up. That's right. So later in the episode, we're talking to Brittany McQuain, who is a former women's basketball player at Quinnipiac. She is now uh, a nurse working at St. Lu- uh, Luke's Hospital in Kansas City. Uh, she's also working on finishing her clinical. She's moving out to Seattle and, and starting a new job, or well, she's supposed to, but of course, nobody really knows what the future looks like now. Uh, but before we get into that, before we get into Matt and I's top five moments from our time as hosts of this podcast, we want to give you a little bit of a recap, tell you what we've been doing and what the world of Quinnipiac Athletics has looked like. So uh, I guess this is the last two months that was in Quinnipiac Athletics. The last episode that dropped, if you're looking on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere else, was March 18th. We talked to Zach Metza. We interviewed him discussing uh, what it was like to be part of the team for the 2019-20 season. We talked about his history, and we were getting you ready for the 2020 ECAC playoffs. The Bobcats had a bye in the round. They were going to the quarterfinals. They were going to be playing uh, at home the weekend that we came back from spring break. And then, Matt McAuliffe, what happened next? <laughs> Slamming on the brakes, man. Uh, I, I like we uh, Quinnipiac students were not allowed to return to campus at, after our spring break, um, and this virus, man, got really dangerous. I would like to say if this virus was a golf game, we're on hole fourteen, but I don't even know. That's the crazy part is that we're recording this on Monday, May eighteenth, right now. So we have been doing this quarantine thing for over two months. Matt and I were lucky enough to quarantine together down in hand. And we've just recently moved back to our respective homes, but you know, we were just ramping up into playoff season for the winter athletic teams at Quinnipiac, which is one of the most exciting times to be both an athlete and a student covering these teams. Uh, we got as far as the Mac playoffs where all the teams were down in Atlantic city uh, the staff from these teams, some of the student media journalists were down there covering. And I cannot imagine being in their shoes, Matt, uh, whether it be the players, especially the women's basketball team, because they were about 30 minutes from tip-off when the MAC announced that they were canceling their tournament because everybody had been periodically canceling to the point where the MAC basketball tournament was the only college tournament on planet yeah that was a crazy crazy thing because the entire sports world since the nba canceled it was like a domino effect and you just started to get more and more worried as more and more sports began to postpone or cancel and and then the mac the mac delivered the news and and you just felt for all of the winter athletes and the spring athletes man they didn't even get to start their seasons or barely started they were doing uh, uh, like out-of-conference games, and, and they couldn't even get to conference play. Just uh, I, I feel for those athletes, and I hope that they're granted another year, and if they want to pursue their sport for another year, go and get it. That's the crazy thing. and I mean, we, we didn't get a chance to talk to a ton of senior spring athletes, which you know obviously we would have liked to get that chance to, but 
it's also a little bit better, but I mean, we, we talked to Kayla Jensen. She was just, you could feel the excitement and the energy radiating off of her for the upcoming softball season. We talked to Jake Tomzik, who was the preseason Mac co-player of the year. And then you had these entire rosters of seniors that were, were getting ready and gearing up. And I know the softball team had just gone out to California when this all happened uh, and played some games down there. The baseball team was down south playing in Florida and up and down the East Coast. So, uh, you know, it's really tough to see that, to see the spring athletes lose that chance. And hopefully they'll get that year of eligibility back. But, man, we had, we had Aaron Falzona on the show who was, who was getting one last shot at it as a grad transfer. We had Alex Whalen on the program. We talked to Katie Tabin earlier in the year. These winter athletes that were right on the edge of possibly making a run at the championships, and they just didn't get that chance. And, man, oh, man, it breaks your heart. It does, because over our time, we really got to know these kids. And it wasn't just on the microphone. Every single time we saw them on campus or at a game, they were always so friendly, said hello to us, and were so good on and off the ice court or whatever field they played on. Quinnipiac is really lucky, and I don't know how they do it, but they recruit not only really good athletes, but unbelievable people who are willing to help those around them and be great examples. So we rebranded this podcast as The Roar uh, about a month or so before spring break and everything happened. So we got a few episodes under our belt as The Roar under this new brand. Uh, so we're lucky enough to be able to have been, you know, right at the beginning and in the planning process for that. Uh, but our name, Matt, has kind of taken a little bit of a different meaning. Uh, and if you go onto the front page, the splash page for uh, the Quinnipiac Athletic Department on GoBobcats.com, and you click on the roar, which is right on the front, uh, you can see a number of links. So uh, I want to go through some of the things that you can still read, watch, listen to, whatever you prefer uh, from the athletic department, because the Office of Athletic Communications has been grinding during this time to get content out. The first thing I want to touch on are the letters to Bobcat Nation. And I know you've gotten a chance to read some of them. So, so have I, you know, what have you taken away from some of these letters? These were fantastic. Uh, this is basically these senior athletes signing off the way they want to, to Quinnipiac Nation and Bobcat Nation. Um, just really powerful stories on how they got into their sport, why they chose Quinnipiac, basically interviews that we do in writing. I mean, it, it was really cool to see some of these athletes who might not be in the limelight on a national scale really share their thoughts and feelings of their sport and, and how it changed their lives and how the people that they met through the sport changed their lives as well. So if you haven't gotten a chance to read some of these, I'll just go through the list quickly. Uh, Taylor Hurd from Women's Basketball. She's a former podcast guest. She is unbelievable. She's been doing some, some great work interviewing her former teammates and things like that. So if, honestly, just go follow her on Instagram. Go follow the Women's Basketball account, too, to see some of that great work. But uh, Tanya Kotowitz, the, the coach of Women's Lacrosse. Trish Fabry, Mason Poli, Eric DaCosta, and John O'Connor. Uh, those are the group of coaches that have, have penned their letters. And then you have Desiree Kleberg from Women's Lacrosse. She was having an unbelievable campaign. Abby Ives from Women's Ice Hockey. Mika Maples from Rugby and Track and Field. Uh, Rachel Marchuk from Softball. Ali Kelsey from Women's Lacrosse. Allison Rothke from Women's Ice Hockey. And Kelsey Coughlin from Track and Field. And then you also have three letters that were written 
from uh, alum, alumnus or alumni, excuse me, one from the class of 2012, two from the class of 2015. So a great array of letters that you can see. Uh, and staying on the note of coaches, they've also introduced a new series called Coaches Corner. They've talked to Paula Miller and Chris Pappas from the tennis programs, Dave Clark from women's soccer, Carolyn Martin, who we talked to from track and field and cross country, and Cass Turner from women's ice hockey. And I'm a sports nerd, Matt. I love the, the management side of coach, or, uh, the management side of sports just as much as the actual playing. So this stuff is so fascinating to me. Yeah, and, and it, as you were saying earlier, this kind of diverse style of content that our website has been pushing out really shows you that even when the world is in a really scary spot, people still come back to their roots and they don't forget about Bobcat Nation, which is huge. And these stories with the people behind their job title or behind their number and jersey is what us as these hosts grinded for and dug for with our interviews and hope that we delivered with our time with this podcast. And uh, I love that this content is, is all kind of coming under the umbrella of the roar because, like you said, Matt, it perfectly embodies what the two of us have tried to do with this show and, and what our, our awesome staff that we've worked with have tried to do with this show, telling the story behind the athlete. And there's no better time than the present to find out what's going on between the ears of a given athlete just with everything that's happening in the world. No doubt. Like I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, so the, the next two sections, uh, two senior stories uh, that you can read to kind of figure out uh, the journey that these athletes have had. Uh, Layla Rodriguez from women's tennis and then Austin, you know, Axel Stern and Patrick Cacapero from men's tennis. Uh, a couple or four names that we have read over and over and over again. They had fantastic careers uh, within the tennis program. So make sure you give those a read and then chalk talk. Uh, this is super cool to me uh, because you, you're getting perspectives from players, uh, whether they're former or current players, they're breaking down games and specific plays. They're looking at the tape and they're telling you exactly what was happening because there's only so many times that you can, you can ask an athlete up at a podium, hey, you, know, you, you scored a great goal today, take me through that goal. No, you are watching the video with these athletes and they're breaking it down for you. Yeah, and, and it also, with these videos, the athletes have time to reflect on those moments and those championship runs. So there's more detail with certain plays and there's more things to say, more stories to share. Because if you ask them at a podium immediately after the game, their adrenaline's running. And they, 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 don't, they don't know the specific play you're talking about when you ask that question. So when there's time to reflect and time to digest, these stories get even better. And uh, there are three different plays or different games that you can watch within this one. Uh, the Sweet 16 run from the women's basketball team. Uh, that happened one. right when we were freshmen. This was before we started the podcast, before you know, we were both just really kind of getting involved with athletics as a whole. So watching them break that down, a game that, and really a tournament run that's kind of the crown jewel of uh, the class of 2020, which we'll break down more. So you have that, Jacob Ragoni's buzzer beater. We were lucky enough to talk to him right after that happened, and it was absolutely awesome to hear his perspective. Uh, and then Will Abbott's Sports Center top 10 play, which happened honestly just a few weeks before this all happened, but it feels like a year ago. And then finally, if you go to the YouTube page for Quinnipiac Athletics, you can see a few 
uh, a few different forms of content. Uh, there's rapid rundown, which are quick questions uh, asked at a rapid pace, which I'm sure the title kind of gave away. Uh, you have Family Friday, which is also uh, great to find out a little bit more about the, the family stories for some of these athletes. So make sure you stay tuned. You know, we're going to go, this entire podcast is going to go on a hiatus over the summer. Uh, and, you know, we're going to have a lot of changes coming in in the fall just because we'll be no longer members of the Bobcat community. But Stay tuned to the Roar page on Quinnipiac Athletics, uh, and that's where you can get all of this new content. Before we throw to the interview, the Student Athletic Advisory Committee still put on the 2020 Boomy Award. Of course. Uh, it is an absolute must, uh, no matter what is going on. Now, they do have a little note on the top of the page due to COVID-19. This year's Boomies were presented virtual, virtually. Uh, in lieu of Billy Mecca standing up there with the microphone controlling a room for two hours, as he always never fails to do. Um, so this is presented by SAC uh, in conjunction with the athletic communication uh, department. Players are nominated for different awards. Uh, so we'll go through uh, and just quickly congratulate the winners from this year's Boomy Awards. I'm not, uh, I'm not keeping a mental count of how many guests we've had that won awards, <laughs> but it, it's all good. It's all good. We'll, um, we'll just give a quick, a quick nod to uh, if they have either been on or not been on this tell particular you what, podcast. Tell you what, Dan. You say the name, I'll just give a quick ding. Okay. Uh, so the male student athlete of the year, Nick Germain. Ding. Uh, yeah. Actually, Matt, you can technically give – oh, no, that's not true. We used the one. I, I interviewed him in the fall, but then we used it in the winter. But either yep. way, that's a ding. Uh, the female student athlete of the year, Alejandra Rodriguez from women's volleyball. Ding. All right. She was on, she was on our first episode of the year when I, when I did fall a bunch one. of fall, fall preview. preview interviews. She was on there. That's a ding. Co or Mr. Bobcat Award co-winner, Alex Whalen, men's ice hockey. Ding. Mr. Bobcat Award co-winner, Jacob Rigoni. Ding. Okay, we're, we're doing good so far. Miss Bobcat Award, Taylor Hurd. Ding. Inspiration Award, taking home two, Taylor Hurd. Ding. Uh, the Female Scholar Athlete of the Year. Unfortunately, we weren't able to talk to Hannah Ryder. She is a junior on the women's soccer team, but something tells me you, you may get a chance to talk to her next year. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, the Male Scholar Athlete of the Year, Eamon Whalen. Ding. Right back on track. Uh, unsung hero from women's lacrosse, Victoria Babinski. I don't know if we have. She's a twin. <laughs> she is a twin. I don't think we were able to talk to her. I'm scrolling through briefly, and, and we weren't. But we've had a number of great representatives uh, from the very funny women's lacrosse team. And we'll talk a little bit more about them yes. as we move along. Uh, but the Ironman award did not get to talk to him. Wish we did uh, Dimitri George from the men's lacrosse team. He's a sophomore, got a lot more to come. Yeah. Uh, he's, so yeah. Congratulations a, to him. Yeah. He's a young, strong, committed player, man. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. Uh, the iron woman award. Uh, we never got to talk to her, but we probably talked more about her. <laughs> than anybody else is it abby ives it is abby ives okay because she was definitely one who came walking in the uh walking in the the players room when we were doing an interview 
A hundred percent. Yeah. We, we, she's probably been in the background for uh, an interview or two that we did in the lounge this year. Uh, Community service award. Uh, congratulations to Samantha Leal, a junior on the women's cross country track and field team. And I'm sorry if I didn't say that correctly. Uh, but congratulations to Samantha, uh, female rookie of the year. Back to the dings we go. Megan Phillips from women's soccer. Ding. The male rookie of the year, rather. Uh, Kyle Maves from the baseball team did not get a chance to talk, talk to him. That was one team. They were on the road so much to begin the spring season that we weren't really able to highlight them. So uh, unfortunate there. But uh, that finishes up the award winners congratulations to all of the nominees and I think it's just it's awesome and before we get into the interview just a a final comment on that it is so cool and honestly an honor to be able to go through that list and say yeah 75 80 percent of those players we've talked to them we've been able to get to know more about them I I mean it's been my favorite part of my week man like getting getting to know these kids and and listening to their story, what, what makes them tick has been a blast. Congratulations to everyone. Those awards are no joke. I, I mean, it, it truly shows the character of these kids. So moving on, uh, in a very important part of today's episode, we have an interview with Brittany McQuain. She is who's joining us on this podcast today. She's working at St. Luke's Hospital in Kansas City. A fascinating conversation with her. We, we kind of went all over the map. We talked a lot about her, her current career as a nurse working in the medical field and talked a lot about her time with the Bobcats as a member of the women's basketball team. Really just a, a very interesting couple of stories or two basically completely different stories told by her that all started here at Quinnipiac. Yeah, and throughout our preparation for this interview, I was kind of like, I have so many questions and, and they're not all sports related. Like I had so many questions about what was going on with this virus. I had so many questions on how she chose health science, what it was like back in, back in her day playing and, and the, the motivation techniques of Trish Fabry and how they stayed consistent. I just had so many questions and she had such great answers. Yeah, Brittany is in the top five for a number of Division I records for this women's basketball team. She, I believe she's the leading rebounder. She's near the top in points, games played, minutes played, field goals, all of that jazz. And she's a great person to talk to. A fun and informative interview with Brittany McQuain. So let's talk to her. We're back here on episode number 53 of the Roar podcast. And one of the things we wanted to do for Matt and I's final episode of this podcast is highlight some of the Bobcat alumni that are currently working on the front line, that are working in the medical fields, that are helping us get through this pandemic. And today we are honored and privileged to be joined by a former forward from the Quinnipiac women's basketball team and current registered nurse in Kansas City, Missouri, Brittany McQueen. Brittany, what's going on? Not much. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad I get to talk to you guys and kind of share what's been going on over here in Kansas City. It's been a very strange turn of events with this pandemic. (laughs) So I think that's the perfect place to start with this conversation is just basically from, I guess it was the beginning of March when the world seemed to still be spinning until now. Take us through what's been going on in your world. You know, initially it wasn't um, that bad. There was a lot of questions, a lot of uncertainty, you know, when everything, when obviously it was first labeled as a pandemic. Um, But I kind of knew in the back of my mind always that um, the worst was yet to come. 
Um, so there were things in the hospital that slowly started changing. I mean, everybody um, had to take their temperature just at first and then, um, you know, keep a log just in case the hospital wanted to check for all employees. Um, and then we were checking like the parents. I work in the NICU, um, neonatal ICU. So we were first checking like the parents' temperatures and things like that. And then slowly everyone had to start wearing masks. Um, and then we saw like our visitor policy change. And then we kind of saw like the bigger practice changes happen, you know, about three to four weeks like into the pandemic when it really started like hitting New York hard and kind of getting into those, um, you know, closer, areas as far as like the borders and kind of like trickling inwards um, just to try to protect our staff and then our babies as well. Yeah so when did you kind of see that spike because I feel that the spike down in Kansas City would have happened later than the New England's or the New York City so when did you really see a climb? Um, I think ours really hit kind of when they predicted like around that April 25th or yeah, like April 25th, April 24th was when they expected our peak to hit. I felt like it kind of happened maybe just a couple of days earlier than that. Um, but we really saw like a lot of cases um, and kind of, you know, some sicker patients like right around um, that April, the week of April 24th and maybe just a couple of days before that. <laughs> So you touched on this a little bit, but especially working in the, the neonatal unit, uh, what are some of the extra precautions that, that you and your staff have had to take just to try to keep everybody safe? Everybody wears masks. Um, so you can't even enter the hospital unless you have, there's different levels of masks. So I'm sure you all know what an N95 is, um, but below that there's like a level one, two and three mask. And so everybody wears a level one mask all the time. And it's kind of like your general, just like paper mask that you like a medical mask that people are wearing like out in the public. Um, so we wear those at all times. And then um, if we go to any delivery um, with a mom who like any delivery at all, we have to wear a level three mask, a level one mask over that, and then eye protection. So there's masks with like eye shields. And then there's also, we have goggles. <laughs> so the goggles are super painful, like on the back of your head, especially if you're waiting for like a first time mom to push a baby out and she's never done this before. It can take a really long time. So I try not to wear the goggles and wear the eye shield instead because it's super painful. But um, we wear that to like any delivery. And so, you know, if it's an emergency situation, you have to put that stuff on super quickly. Um, and then for any like suspected patient that may have COVID, we have to wear the N95 with a level one over it with the eye shield and then gown and glove um, if we're going into that room. That, that is no joke. That is no yeah. joke. <laughs> and do you feel that how do you feel your team specifically is handling it? Uh, are you guys exhausted? Are you, are you motivated? Are you willing to, to answer this call for weeks to come? Where, where is your, your mental stance right now? Um, I mean, there's, we definitely have, you know, certain people who this whole pandemic, it's really getting to them, you know, and like understandably so it's, there's a lot of uncertainty in everything that's going on. Um, but I would say for the vast majority of us all, like we are show up to work, we do our jobs and we're taking care of babies. Uh, you know, obviously the mom is, we're not taking care of the mom, but you know, they come from the mom, obviously. So there's a lot of uh, interaction that we have to do with the adult population sometimes. Um, but our everyone's goal is to really like resuscitate, stabilize and protect the baby. And I think that we've done such a good job of like, you know, adhering to all these different 
you know, changes of rules and things like that, um, because we know it's not about us right now, honestly. It's about our patients. So. And do, do you find that that's kind of a ray of light and a ray of sunshine in a time like this where there are still births and there is still life happening? Yeah. And it, I mean, the process as far as like, you know, like the moms have to wear masks um, during delivery, you know, and they have to wear masks when they see their babies. And it is really hard um, for parents, you know, right now we're only allowing one parent per day to visit their baby. Um, so it is hard. Um, but, you know, we're still seeing healthy babies who still have, you know, those, they hit those milestones from being like a premature baby and going on to being a term baby and going home. Um, so there is still happiness in my unit, like you said, and it is nice to see that it kind of, you know, when I'm taking care of a baby that has nothing going on other than just like trying to feed and grow and get home and they do something awesome, you know, that's always like a good day and takes my mind off everything else that's happening. So we're talking with Brittany McQuain here on the Roar podcast. Now, this is something that we, we like to ask athletes when they're in the middle of a semester, but I know it's a little bit of a, a different situation for you now. So what was your day-to-day schedule like before the pandemic started? And then how has it kind of changed now with everything else going on? I mean, talk about like hit the brakes. Like, <laughs> I was waking up every single day, like before 7 a.m., um, either 5 a.m. so that I could go to work or, you know, I have to be, um, as a student, I had to show up and I, I'm on the same unit. Um, so the clinical hours that I'm doing are in the same unit. They're around all my same, you know, practitioners, doctors and nurses, but I get there just about an, uh, an hour later that I have to be there as a nurse. Um, and so I was up every single morning so early. I never, I have a boyfriend. I never really saw him. We were never able to really do anything. I was tired all the time. Um, I wasn't, you know, working out and eating healthy, like forget about that. But, you know, now it's like everything has kind of like just stopped. And I have not felt that in three years. Like I've been in this program for three years. I started as a family nurse practitioner. Um, and then before I remembered that adults are not my thing and went back to neonatal. <laughs> um, but it's, it's honestly been kind of nice. Um, I am excited to get back into clinical and to get that, you know, part of my life over with like I'm done being in school but it's been nice to just like really slow down and kind of have Monday through Friday since I don't work like those days for me and for my family or for my boyfriend or whatever I want to do um because before that it was like sheer pandemonium all the time chaos <laughs> yeah I mean we're, we're always looking for ways to pass the time so have you have you found anything fun to do during the week that you might recommend well, I love plants. Suddenly I got, I have, um, some ficus trees that I got and I just like, I take care of them like babies. And then I have tulips and I'm learning how to like take care of things that are not myself. Um, I think it's always like good. To, well, also that's just like the nurse in me. Like I always have to constantly be taking care of something. Um, <laughs> but I, I work out, we bought a punching bag. And so I'm teaching myself how to box. I need a punching bag. It's really fun. I've been doing like kickboxing, like on IGTV stuff. I need a punching bag. <laughs> yeah. They, I, we did curbside pickup from Academy Sports, which I don't, I think, um, I don't know if you guys have that on the East Coast. I can't remember, but Dick's Sporting Goods has them. Um, and so the bag itself is a hundred pound bag. And I think it was like $120 or something. And then the frame was only like, I mean, it was a little bit less than that. It wasn't quite a hundred. I think maybe it was like 90 bucks or something. So we just split the costs and bought it. And honestly, I love it. It's been something like new that I can teach myself, but you know, I'm also pretty competitive. So the fact that I'm not 
just fantastic at it from the get go is frustrating. <laughs> so, and we talked about this before too, and you, you mentioned it just a little while ago. Uh, you are still a student uh, in the sense of the word, but it's a little bit different than your average in class graduate school track that some other majors would kind of find. So tell us a little bit about your work uh, as a student right now. So I am, like I said, I'm in the neonatal nurse practitioner program. I am at uh, the University of Missouri of Kansas City, so UMKC, um, and the program's only two years, but like I said, I kind of initially started as a family nurse practitioner. So before I was in class and I was doing a lot of like online work and studies, it's a lot of like, here's your PowerPoints, here's the two weeks that you have, we'll see you in two more weeks when we give you more you know, PowerPoints and things, and you're kind of teaching yourself, which is a little bit scary <laughs> at times, you know, but um, for my last semester, I had 620 clinical hours that I had to get done, um, and so that consisted of doing like three to four 12-hour um, shifts a week on top of working, um, and I learned how to do advanced procedures, so um, one of those things would be like intubation. So I could like put a breathing tube down a baby or do umbilical lines, which are like long IVs that go into their umbilical cord. Um, and they last much longer than IVs since babies obviously have underdeveloped and fragile skin and veins and all those things. Um, so being a student is really interesting, especially when I'm doing it in my own unit. So like when I'm there as a nurse, you know, I'm a charge nurse. I was the head of our practice committee. Um, so I, you know, took part in a lot of like practice and policy changes on the unit. And then being a student, I'm <clears throat> obviously in a different role um, and learning how to do advanced practice things. And so it's, it's kind of interesting going from being like somebody who knows a lot of information and knows what they're doing when they're a nurse and then turning around and being a student and being like bottom of the barrel novice and knowing nothing. <laughs> um, but it's, it's been really fun and I'm, I'm excited to start. That is one of the more more confusing geographical things I've come across. Is the, is the Kansas City, Missouri, Kansas City, Kansas? Where now are the are the Royals in the, on the Missouri side? Yeah, yeah all the good stuffs on the Missouri side. <laughs> I live in the good part. Of, I mean, there's like Kansas City, Kansas, where it's like not such a great part of Kansas City. But I live in like the. Um, Johnson County, I don't really know what to compare it to as far as like Connecticut, but it's kind of like the bougier part of Kansas City, if you will. And okay. it's a really good part of Kansas City. There's really good school systems, you know, so I live on a good part of the Kansas City, Kansas side, <laughs> but there is a really bad part. And so when people like compare, they always compare it to like the terrible part of Kansas City, Kansas and all the good stuff's on Missouri. <laughs> okay, cool. Go Chiefs. Yeah. <laughs> So my next question actually is going to switch gears back to your family. Uh, you have five younger siblings, you're the oldest of five, and uh, how have you tried to interact with them and, and not lose touch with your siblings? What has that been like? Um, we talk, my, well, so I'm closest with the sister who's next to me. Um, she's 26, I'm 28. And we talk on the phone nearly every single day. So we FaceTime, we talk on the phone. Um, I, my mom doesn't have an iPhone, my little brother does. And so <laughs> I'll FaceTime him and FaceTime my mom and talk to them. But really just using technology to our advantage because it does stink. You know, when you grew up in a house full of people and then you're, now you're isolated with one other person. <laughs> it's like, I probably get on my boyfriend's nerves because he's a super introvert and I'm like, oh no, you need to talk to me. We need to go out and we've got things to do. And he's like, or not. <laughs> so just trying to connect with them via technology has been the best way. 
because there must have been always something going on. Uh, if you have, if you got six, if you have six kids around the house, there must have been always something going on. Someone's either fighting or getting into something fun, and you want to take part of it, and you know, it's always, it was always, never a dull moment ever. So we also try to keep in touch as much as possible, but. So one of the one of the trends that's been going around in the the Quinnipiac athletic community has been hashtag Bobcat Strong, uh, mm-hmm. and that's kind of been uh, a smaller microcosm of what's been going on across the United States, which is uh, really an overwhelming support for the frontline workers during this pandemic. You can drive by any number of houses and see hearts or, or thank you yeah. messages out in front. So, you know, what have you seen uh, in Kansas City, in Missouri, in terms of support? And you know, what do you make of everything that's been going on with support and people helping you guys out? I think it really has opened people's eyes to what healthcare workers do. And, you know, we're taking care of all, you know, whether it's COVID or not, like, and especially adults, like we don't see some of the severe illnesses um, and babies that we, we see in adults. So the adult nurses, like kudos to them, because I know that they're dealing with a lot more than what I'm dealing with. Um, but I think it, it's been really nice to have people kind of have that appreciation and understanding, like on a different level. Um, and pe- I mean, everywhere I go, like I was talking to a person in a hardware store when I was looking for plants <laughs> <laughs> about, um, a hydro flask, you know, and, or a Yeti. And she was, I was like, yeah, I keep it for my 12 hour shift. And she was like, oh my God, you're a nurse. Like, thank you so much. You know? And so it's been really, it's been nice to hear. Um, also I go to work and our break room table is never empty. There's always a basket of something, you know, food all the time all the time, like everything that you can think of. We've had barbecue catered and Panera catered and donuts every morning. Like there's, it's just been like a constant. And we have, um, we obviously always thank these people because they're so generous. And uh, we have a like little desk area where we line up like thank you cards. And there's like 15 cards. Like there's been so much um, support sent our way. And we obviously are so grateful and know that we're not the only ones, you know, healthcare workers aren't the only ones who are still working and grinding during this pandemic. There's lots of other essential workers who are doing um, just as, you know, difficult work as we are and exposing themselves as well. Well, I have a, I have a fun question. How had, how had being a division one basketball player, learning time management skills, being a division one athlete and balancing school, how has that translated into your professional life right now? It, I always say basketball taught me everything I know, um, you know, which isn't the total truth, but it taught me a lot. And I think being an athlete, especially at that level where you have five hours of your day blocked off for practice and there's nothing that you can do about that, you have to find time for something else. Um, and that includes rest and relaxation for yourself. Um, but I think that you know, one of the funny things too, is that like, I always tell people like before college, I didn't know how to study. Like I was a great student in high school. I took advanced courses and stuff. And then I got to college and I was like, Oh, I actually have to like prepare for this stuff. But like, when do I have time? You know, I'm on the bus. And so you have to just really prioritize. And I think that that's taught me a lot, especially like being in a hospital where you, you know, you could have two or three ICU patients and trying to prioritize their care um, is obviously much different than being a student athlete, but it's really not when it comes to like, you have to get things done and you only have this amount of time and 
you know, people are expecting you to show up and do your best. So <laughs> it definitely is translated a lot. Now, before we move backwards, because I know as, as two sports guys, we have a couple of questions about, uh, about your, your days with the Bobcats. I want to look toward the future. Now, I, this is kind of a two-part question, but it's more just a curiosity thing as two, two regular people. What do you think the future is going to look like after this pandemic? And when do you think the world may start to kind of reopen? And this is, this is the question. This is <laughs> the, the question. question. <laughs> no pressure. Um, <laughs> honestly, if I'm, if I'm being perfectly honest, I, I don't think that this is going to go away anytime soon. I think that, you know, every state is doing their best to kind of reopen um, and hopefully taking their um, people in, you know, into consideration when they're doing so, because I fully expect that if we reopen too early, then we're going to see a rise in cases and we're going to have to shut back down completely and that nobody wants that. Um, it's been kind of a glimmer of hope being able to reopen some things, but I think that we have to make sure that we're doing it responsibly. Um, now, as far as like a long-term vision, I can see people like wearing masks like a year from now. Um, I, I always compare like this whole thing to like, I've read a lot about the Spanish flu and like what that looked like. And it took three years for that to like completely go away, like everything to completely go away. So I think that our world is going to look pretty different for at least a year, if not two, um, you know, and especially if we don't have a vaccine within, um, you know, the time frame that they said, although, you know, that's a whole nother story with the vaccine and everything like that. But I think that it's, there's definitely going to be um, a long time, a long road ahead of us um, before everything goes back to completely normal, but hopefully sooner rather than later. <laughs> Yeah, that is that is absolutely true. But uh, so uh, I want to take a take a little bit of time, Matt. If you, I don't know if you have any uh, medical related questions before we transition to basketball. Now, the the rest of mine are are rebounding related and sports related. <laughs> <laughs> so so let's talk let's talk a little bit about sports. So uh, former forward with the uh, Quinnipiac Bobcats women's basketball team. But before you got to Quinnipiac, you know what was your what was your younger life like in terms of sports? What did you play? Who were you playing with? And then how did Quinnipiac kind of start to come into the picture? So I played like every sport that you can think of with the exception of like the super coordinated ones like golf or tennis or something like that, like I did, or baseball or softball or whatever. Um, but I did soccer for, since I was a little kid. And then I, I stopped my freshman year of high school. It just wasn't fun anymore. We lost every single game. So we were not very good in high school. Um, so I played soccer, I played volleyball, I did that for two years, and I did track and field, I did shot put and discus, um, you know, big man sports, and then I just played basketball. Um, and I started competitively playing basketball when I was, uh, I think it was after my freshman year of high school, so like I only played for three years, I think. Um, so I didn't really have a lot of time for coaches to like see me play. Um, but I did get lucky and I was down in Florida when Mountain McGilvery, he's the head coach at LaSalle now with Samantha Guastella. Um, and, uh, he saw me play down there and I just remember seeing his like goofy little smile on the sideline, like the whole, I'm like running up and down the court. I'm like, 
who is this guy that's just like smiling at me? And then afterwards it was like, I don't know if you've ever met Mountain or if anybody has ever interacted with him, but he, he is. He was there, he was there right when we, we first got here. One of the most positive human beings I've ever <laughs> so met. Positive. Yeah. So positive. And such a big personality. And he just loves with his whole heart. Like he's amazing. I miss yeah. him so much. But So positive. Then he goes home and deals with his nine children. He, the guy is <laughs> super here. Yeah. <laughs> and his, oh my gosh, his kids, like, I miss them so much. And they're so big. Like, I look at his Instagram page, but I'm like, are they seriously? Like, I mean, I guess babies grow after six years. They don't just stay the same, but it's amazing <laughs> to see how big they've gotten. But yeah, I just, I remember talking to him and he was like telling me about this school that I couldn't pronounce and like, you know, how much I could change this. And I'm like, who is this? Like, you know, everyone else. And I was really actually um, around that time looking seriously to going um, to Illinois State University. And um, luckily that it did not pan out because it was like kind of between QU and Illinois State. And um, I just... I remember being like, I don't know, I guess I wanted to go as far away as possible. And being in the Missouri Valley Conference isn't really as far away as possible. So I'll check out Connecticut. And I came and as soon as I got on the plane and left with my great aunt, I was like, I'm going there. I love it there. It's beautiful. It's so different. Um, and I remember somebody, I can't remember, it was, you know, the name doesn't really matter because they were like, you know, you'll never make it out on the East Coast. Like, um, coaches from the coast don't like recruiting Midwest girls because we don't like to leave home. And I was like, well, I'm going to leave home and I'm going to stay away from home. <laughs> so that was a motivating factor, I guess. So my, my question deals with uh, your rebounding ability, uh, your rebounding ability. You logged a ton of minutes. So what, what was the, uh, again, I guess, what was your Dennis Rodman strategy to rebounding? Did you read the spin of the ball? Did you, uh, how, how are practices and, how are you able to, to just be a really strong factor on the rebounding side? Um, obviously, it was bigger than everybody growing up. And so, you know, I always had felt, like, really down on myself when I, like, couldn't dribble or something. Like, I'm not supposed to be doing that, you know. And my high school coach actually was, like, she came in um, after we went. We were, like, 6 and, like, 17 or something by – um, freshman year of high school. And then that coach left and she came in and she really kind of like got me more comfortable with my body and more comfortable with my long shoot. Like you have six foot four, beautiful long arms. Like you have to use those to rebound and to box out. And she really taught me to be more comfortable with my own body. Um, and I think after that, it was like, you know, I'm a rebounding machine. Like this is what I do, you know? And I really like, I embraced that role and I think um, it was more so of like, rather than compete, I mean, I obviously wanted to be better. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm like losing my voice. I obviously wanted to be better than my opponent, but it was more so like a competition with myself. Like how many rebounds can I get this game? And it's not, you know, I, I'm watching that MJ documentary and I was like, I was Dennis Rodman, this is amazing. <laughs> but, you know, I didn't read the spin of the ball. I mean, like how he says, but like, he's right. You know, you can watch it. Like you kind of know where it's going to go based off where it hits, but it's just like that intuition that you have that I think like any nurse or doctor or whatever, like you have a certain intuition that you can't really explain. Um, and I just knew like wherever it was going to go, I was going to chase it down and get it. Cause that's, that's what I do and that's what I'm supposed to do. So, so the program, it, it went through a lot of growth and a lot of changes during your four years there. I mean, starting in the NEC, losing in the quarterfinals, and then moving all the way to junior year, winning the NEC and going to the NCAA tournament, and then moving to the MAC. So uh, 
what did you see from freshman year coming in until your senior year? What was the kind of growth both for you and for the program in those four years? Um, you know, I would love to say that like the whole time that I was going through my, you know, rookie year as a freshman, I was like, oh, this is, you know, obviously we can turn this around and like, I'm so positive, but I wasn't, I was, you know, a freshman without any confidence, without any solid footing or, you know, like a real spot on the team. You know, I wasn't a starter until like midway through. <clears throat> and I remember coach pulling me into her office after my freshman year. And she was like, you need to step up. Like you are going to need to make a big difference for us because we're going to look to you to change this around like there's not going to be another like 16 and 11 season um and so after that I was just you know I've always been a leader like I love to lead I love to teach I love you know that's just my personality um and so I kind of again I just assumed that role I'm very good I guess that like if somebody gives me a task and they're like I believe that you can do this I'm like well then I'm gonna get it done for you you know so she kind of gave me a job um, and then after I felt like I started coming into my own, I felt everything else kind of fall into place. And then, you know, we were champions. I obviously couldn't do it without any of my other teammates. You know, the class beneath me had five girls who were absolutely phenomenal. Um, and I think supported me in my role just as I supported them. And I, you know, it was just, I had a really good college career and I talked to other athletes and who don't have the same experience. And I'm like, I feel bad for you because it was awesome. <laughs> so uh, a, kind of a two-parter, who were some of your role models when you came in and then who were some of the players, like you said, the class behind you that you were able to mentor? Um, what, what was the second question? Sorry. Uh, role models and players that you might've been a role model for or that oh. you were able to mentor. Sure. Um, I, so, I mean, role models, Courtney Kaminsky played. Um, I think I just played with her just the one year, but I remember just, she had such a beautiful shot and I was super jealous. I was like, I can never shoot like that, but she worked <laughs> so hard. Um, and so I really wanted to be her, you know, and she was a five player. So I was like, there's no way I'm beating a senior out for like a starting position. That's just not happening. Um, so her and then Layla Pratt, who didn't really play a lot of minutes, but she was, and definitely was a role player, but she was the hardest working player on the floor always. Like nobody outworked Layla. Um, and I became really close friends with her my freshman year. And I think that she really helped me get through some of those like really tough losses where I was like, this is all we're going to do is lose. Like this is not what I had envisioned. Um, and she really kind of helped lift my spirits. And then on a larger scale, Tina Charles, from UConn um, was yeah. playing around that same time. And she was a huge role model for me. I mean, I used to like watch her post moves like on YouTube all the time and try to recreate. <laughs> yeah. um, as far as like a mentor, I mean, I don't know. I remember just kind of being like, I feel like a mother figure all the time to like all my little like baby players, but I had a really close relationship with Sam and I feel like we kind of worked really well together. Like, I feel like, you know, I kind of made her tougher down in the post and then she kind of made, you know, helped me be more of like a finesse player. Like, you know, with my turnaround jumper, like we used to work together all the time. So Sam and I are still really close to this day. Um, and I just, there's like this one, um, shot that I remember where I, I had a rebound and I was like completely under the basket and I could not, I knew she was up 
by the three and I just whipped the ball behind me like a dagger straight to her and she nailed a shot and coach was pissed she was like don't ever (laughs) pass a ball like that underneath and I was like she made it like what like we just had like this like twin telepathy like I knew she was there I knew she was gonna make it I wasn't worried but yeah I think definitely um I think I helped her a lot in some ways and she definitely helped me so why, why can I picture Coach Fabry like, you, you didn't recognize where the defense was. Don't do that again. <laughs> yeah. I got, I got my butt ripped a couple of times, but it made me a better player in person, so I didn't mind it. <laughs> so, yeah, well, it actually, right on, right on Coach Fabry, what was your experience playing for her both on the court and off the court? I have my whole life, um, I've had strong women help me become the woman that I am today. And she was no different. Um, she is amazing. Like she is everything that, you know, I, I only wanted to play for a woman coach. I didn't want to play for a guy. Um, and no offense mountain, he was phenomenal, but I just, I feel like she has like equal parts, like butt kicker. And then, you know, like the soft and fuzzy, like she gave you the, you know, soft, gentle coaching when you needed it. But then she was not afraid to be like, no, you need to actually work harder and I'm going to keep riding your butt until you do what I want you to. Um, So I just, you know, and she's just, I can't even explain her. Like she just made Quinnipiac feel like home all four years. She made it feel like home before I even got there. She was the only coach that came and watched a high school game of mine. um, That wasn't like a competitive game in the dead of winter in the middle. I mean, not like it's any colder than the East coast, but traveled all that way. And I just, I have so much respect for her, like more than any, anyone. Um, she's just a great person. So me me and Dan had, um, the, we were lucky enough to travel with them for Mac tournament and even their, their run in the NCAA tournament, uh, at Syracuse. And, and we knew as soon as the bus arrived and you get off that bus, Save your questions for coach till after yeah. the game. Like, like <laughs> it's it's locked in. It's go time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she always got a super focus. We always, you know, <laughs> Sam and I always talk about missing her pregame talks and stuff. And I'm like, sometimes I just need like a pregame coach Fabry talk to like get me out of bed in the morning. <laughs> like, she knew how to fire us up. I'll, I'll tell you, and we, when we were at the MAC tournament last year in Albany, you know, I'm self-proclaimed, not a morning person, uh, but we were up, you know, I think it was six or 7 a.m. when we were up for the, for the first day. And she was coming through like a buzzsaw, morning boys, ready to go. And just watching the pace of her practice, I, I felt like I just had three cups of coffee. She's, oh, yeah. she's a character. But something that we discussed before, and, and I want you to touch on again, because uh, the current state of Quinnipiac women's basketball, uh, you know, especially from, from last year with the, the big class of seniors they had, you know, what have you seen after you graduated from Quinnipiac in terms of this program growing and really kind of making a name for itself? I mean, I think that she is just, always had that championship mentality. Um, And I think that she recruits players who are like-minded. And so that's really what I've seen. I've seen her bring in players who really want to win um, and who really have, uh, you know, that desire to better themselves along the way. And it's not going to be an easy journey. You know, they didn't really have um, the easiest journey as far as this season, um, but they definitely have withstood a lot of um, adversity. And I think that that's just kind of like the Quinnipiac way. Like you may be faced with some adversity, but you have to be mentally strong and mentally tough. And, you know, Coach B too um, drills that into your head early on. So 
you know, I think that it's really been awesome to see her kind of like come into this, you know, like a force to be reckoned with, like her and her team. Um, and that's always who she's been. And I think that it just really has been nice to see her get the recognition and see the team get the recognition that they deserve over the past six years that I've been gone. And do you, and you still follow the team year after year? You still look at the website, yeah. check records? Mm-hmm. Good. It's been, it was a little bit more difficult this year just because I was, you know, um, I was obviously so busy with the end of my master's degree, but, you know, I caught a couple of like games. I had the ESPN app on my phone. And so I'd be in clinical and I'd like set my phone up like while I was typing my notes and stuff. (laughs) So I've I've done my best this year, but it wasn't um, as much as I've been with the years prior. So. Uh, Yeah, Dan, I'm, I'm, I have no more questions. If you want to ask the final three, I don't know how many you have left. Uh, no, I, that's actually perfect timing. Yeah. So Brittany, we asked three questions to all of our guests, 52 episodes worth of guests. We asked the same three questions. These are the real, the thinkers, the kind of get to know you questions. Uh, so the first one, if you could live anywhere in the world, uh, besides Hamden, Connecticut or your hometown, where would it be and why? Mm-hmm. I think Seattle, Washington. Okay. Why is that? Uh, so I actually, I, I love the rain. I love a good, like, dreary day. And I don't know why that is. I mean, my personality is not, like, <laughs> upbeat sunshine either. Um, I just, I feel like it's super relaxing. Um, and I can, I don't know, I just feel more myself, like, when it's a little bit rainy outside. And I actually went there to interview for a practitioner position. I actually accepted a position as an NNP at my, um, in my neonatal ICU that I work in now. So I'll transition there at the end of the year. But I just, I love it there. And I went there and I had never been there before, before my interview. And I went for my interview and I was like, this is exactly what I wanted it to be. And I would totally live here. Like I loved it so much. So nice. Yeah. Okay. That's a good pick. Um, all right. Second one. Uh, if you could have dinner with any one person in the world, either alive, deceased, can be anybody, who would it be and why? Kobe Bryant gone too soon. Yeah. I have never cried. Like, I mean, I cried when I found out that he passed away, like as if it were my family member. And I don't know. I mean, there's been a lot of like women basketball players who have influenced my game and who I watched growing up. Um, And Kobe was always just like Kobe, like everybody knew who he was, but I just, I don't know. I took that death way harder than I thought I was going to. And it's super sad. So I would definitely love to have dinner with him and ask him all the, all the things. I listened to a podcast interview with him, The Corp, the one that Alex Rodriguez did with him. And he, he not only is he like so competitive on the court, but like his business mind is like insane so too. His business plan yeah. is how brilliant he is to connect to his audience and target market is so good. And, and it would have been just as great to ask him not only about his basketball career, but even his career as a dad that he was. Yeah. yeah. But um, anyways, not to, not to get it dusty in anybody's room. Um, the third one. Uh, so kind of, kind of on the same general topic, you are on death row. Uh, what is your final meal, your dinner, your drink, and your dessert? My, <laughs> my dinner, we'll keep it classy just like Kansas City would want me to I would eat um pepperoni pizza from Pizza Hut like a nice trashy pepperoni pizza um my drink hmm coca-cola cherry coca-cola with lime from Sonic (laughs) and dessert 
something fudgy. Like I'm a huge chocolate connoisseur. So like maybe chocolate fudge. That sounds delicious. Um, What am I on death row for? Uh, you would probably know better than us, but we can we can consult some of your former teammates if we want them to weigh in. <laughs> like uh, uh, your your dessert is also chocolate, isn't it? Yeah, I mean I'm a, like a skillet cookie guy or like a lava cake oh, yeah. guy, huge on that. My question was Kansas City, no barbecue, nothing. We're just not about it. I'm a bad native. I'm a bad native. I don't love barbecue sauce, so I don't love barbecue. Okay. <laughs> But I do, we, there's a, um, if you're ever in Kansas City, you have to eat at Joe's Barbecue. My boyfriend actually has introduced it to me, but um, they have this, it's a Z-Man sandwich that he gets and it's like brisket. The sandwich is like as big as your head. It's huge. And it's super good. But every time I go there, I'm like barbecue sauce on the side. I don't know. It's just not, not my thing. Yeah. It's not for everybody. Jones. Yeah. All right. See, like it, it, my, that's my retirement plan. I'm just going to travel the country and find. Yes. We'll keep a blog. I'll follow Noted you. food guy. <laughs> uh, so before we let you go, uh, we, we want to know, you know, obviously both as the two of us, but what can Bobcat Nation, what can the entire Quinnipiac community do for the health professionals, for frontline workers right now? What can we do to help you guys? Well, what can the public do? I mean, this is a platform where you can, as a frontline hero, you can let it loose. Um, I think the best thing, and I'm, I'm big on this, like I said, is just educating yourselves. Uh, if there's something that doesn't sound right, just, you know, go to reputable websites. Like, go to the CDC, go to Johns Hopkins. Like, don't believe every single thing that, like, the, even the New York Times puts out. And I love the New York Times. But make sure that you are educating yourselves. Like, when the mask thing came out, uh, make sure that you know, like, how to properly, like, put on the mask and take off the mask and just things like that. Like, if the best way to support us is to make sure that you're getting the best information um, and educating yourself on everything that's going on so that you're keeping everybody safe. There you go. We're, we, we are former students, but the, there's never a bad time to educate yourself. So Brittany, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and thank you for what you are doing and best of luck moving forward and, and helping us fight this thing off. Yeah. Thank you for everything, thank Brittany. Thanks guys. Thanks so much to Brittany McQuain for joining us here on episode number 53 of the Roar podcast. Again, cannot thank her enough. I hope everybody listening was able to learn something too. We tried to work in some more current questions about, hey, you know, what do you think the world is going to look like in a month, in two months? What is the the best thing that we can be doing? And I, I think that the biggest takeaway that everybody should have from this conversation is Please continue to support the frontline workers and not, not just the medical profession. I mean, there are people working in grocery stores and other essential businesses that need the support too, but especially the case with medical professionals that are pulling overtime, double duty, triple duty, anything that you can do to show your support, please, please do. Just be responsible, man. Uh, be responsible. Uh, I'm not saying lock yourself in your house, go outside, but when you're outside, be responsible. Uh, help these people on the front lines. Help them help you. That's a great. That's a great way to put that. Uh, we've been spreading around the hashtag Bobcat Strong. Uh, this is a very strong community of fans, athletes, coaches, staff, parents, families, things like that. 
and we really do need that strength now. So uh, if you get a chance to, to donate to any one of the number of charities that is accepting donations for food, for medical supplies, for things like that, please take the chance to do that. Uh, but now, as we kind of start to wrap up this episode, Matt and I, we've been through a lot. We've talked to a lot of people. We've done a lot of different things, a lot of fun things on this podcast. So we went through our different interviews, our different episodes, our different everything that we've done, and we picked our top five moments on this podcast. Our lists are completely different. We both have five different moments. These are also in no particular order. We didn't rank these. Uh, There are definitely some that we forgot, just little moments. Uh, And we could have had an entire top five of moments that weren't captured on the podcast. But Matt, I want to start with you. Start with your top five moments on this podcast. Okay, pressure's on. I'm going first. Uh, Okay, so my first one was my interview that I did solo with Billy Mecca. Uh, He had a York Hill Arena story that was unforgettable. Um, He talked about how the ECAC, the ECAC hockey, was looking for another team to add to their conference. And Quinnipiac was being interviewed. And they had a broken bobcat propped, like bobcat as in like the construction equipment. Yes. Uh, It was broken, parked up on the hill, and they convinced the ECAC. They said, we're ready to break ground on a brand new arena and make your conference look strong. And they were chosen uh, into ECAC hockey, and the rest is history, man. And the program took off from there. So we're going to build a place up top on that hill. And that morning – to prove we were sincere, they took an old, non-working bulldozer, <laughs> put it on the back <laughs> of a truck, in the bed of a truck, and parked it on the hill <laughs> up there by the People's United Center. And then drove the fellas from the ECAC around to say, up, up we're getting ready to break ground. Now, that thing didn't work, dude. But it <laughs> gave the impression. They didn't know it. It gave the impression that we were ready to go. So um, two years later, uh, you got probably one of the nicest facilities, uh, not only in the Northeast, but uh, probably throughout the country. So what you just heard there was a quick clip of Billy Mecca joining the podcast. Matt got the chance to sit down with him. I mean – talking about we just talked about mr bobcat and we had two recipients that were guests on this show you have to try to give it to somebody else because if you were really giving a true mr bobcat award it would be billy mecca unanimously every single year exactly uh my second one uh it was the baker dunleavy interview we did uh his roots and how he grew up and his basketball household was really cool to hear because Baker has been on a national stage. He's been to a final four. He's won a national championship on a buzzer beater as an assistant. Like this guy knows basketball and hearing his origin story was really cool. Yeah. Like when you're a son of a coach, you kind of, I think you can go one of two ways. You either hate it or you love it. You know, there's probably not much middle ground. So uh, I have two other brothers. So there's three of us and, um, kind of like a traveling basketball circus growing up. I, my dad worked in a lot of different cities for different teams as an NBA head coach. And uh, we would just kind of just follow his coattails to practice every day, every day that we could, and be around the games. So we were really lucky get, getting exposed to a lot of the things we probably took took for granted back then. But, um, you know, just loved being around the game and, and emulated the players we saw and 
um, just 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 loved it. And you know, one thing that was was interesting was just kind of seeing up close and personal. You know, my dad being able to communicate with players. You know, and different types of players. Magic Johnson was the first player he ever coached as a head coach. That was his first ever head coaching job. You not know? not a bad start. You know, yeah, that's, so a, like replacing that's Pat a name we're familiar with. Yeah. <laughs> so just like you know, the evolution of him becoming you know going from a young coach to the to an older coach. And but I think probably the most the most interesting of his teams are uh, the Portland Trailblazers teams that had a lot of lot of really good players and interesting characters. Yeah. yeah. And so riding on some of those bus rides with. Rashid Wallace, J.R. Ryder, <laughs> Bonzi Wells, those guys um, were, were, you know, I learned a lot of new words. You know, I think we're probably a nice way to put expanded. it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Baker Dunleavy, one of the most interesting characters uh, to kind of come into the Quinnipiac athletic community over the last few years. And, and I think, you know, before we move on from him, the growth that you've seen from this men's basketball program under Baker Dunleavy you know, you can't, you can't deny it. It's definitely there. It's been present and you can see it from the players. He's recruited their character, the way they go about practice, not only games and the way that they're able to really read situations in game and read defenses in game has been really impressive. Then my next one I have is the OG interview with Chase Prisky uh, before he was a professional hockey player. Uh, We spoke to him about, blue light glasses and toe spreaders and his recovery routine. And oh my goodness, was it unforgettable. And then I kind of got into more of the research and it talks about how the blue light from the screens uh, stops your body's ability from making the melatonin. And that's why like it, it naturally suppresses your, like your sleep cycle. And that's why it takes you longer to fall asleep. And I started wearing the glasses, and I've had no problem falling asleep. So I'm not sure if it's placebo or if it's real, and I'm also not a doctor. <laughs> so I've been wearing them, and it's been helping me sleep. So if it, if it helps me at, in any way, I might as well use them. Right. So the toe spreaders have been big lately, just helping my feet and helping my feet grip the ground. My blue light glasses to kind of help me sleep at night. Uh, I've got an acupuncture mat that I use on my feet so I can feel the ground, and I use it on my back, my neck. And then uh, Nick Germain, one of my teammates, just picked up this thing called a Hypervolt. And it's kind of like a miniature, I don't even know what to call it. It like massages your body. It's like a little gun. Okay. And it's like a portable massager and it massages your body. And he got one of those. And I think that's going to be my next purchase because (laughs) they have them down in Washington. And while I was there in the summer, I'd use them all the time. I might just bite the bullet, go 45 bucks for these glasses. So we found out a little bit of the method to the madness for how you become not only an elite athlete, but really just a well-rounded student athlete. It's so, so important to be able to take care of yourself and have different rituals to keep your body preserved. And honestly, it was just fascinating to hear all of the things that he does outside of the rink to make sure he's ready to go the next day. So my next one on my list is actually when I did a solo interview with Coach Brajesh Patel, and we spoke about his death row meal. And it was very interesting to hear a athletic trainer talk about eating ice cream. And then dessert. It's got to be um, Arthusa ice cream. It's like the best ice cream ever. Where where can I find that? It's in New Haven. So I think it's on, I always get the streets confused, but I think it's on Crown. Oh, You so know where the Shake Shack shop. is? Yes. Right? Like so that's by 
Bar New Haven. Yeah. And, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So if you know where Bar is, and there's like uh, there's like a little parking lot next to Geronimo's. Okay. If you go on the other side, closer towards the green, it is the best ice cream ever. And uh, I've said this to a lot of athletes and to my staff too. And and um, I think they agree. I don't know if I just like convince them that it's really good, but they <laughs> say that it's the best ice cream they've ever had. But anyway, so there's a farm. I'm getting excited about it. No, there's I, a f- now that you mention it, I think this was one of Chase's picks too. Yes, we had Chase. On. I think I think he did. <laughs> so um, there's a farm in Litchfield, Connecticut, where you know they have their cows, obviously, but they essentially pamper their cows. Like they groom them, they shampoo them, they do their nails, and. And this goes back to like some neuroscience does too. This, does this result in better milk for the better cream, right? Oh, think about like if if you get treated really well, and you're you know you're showered and not necessarily pampered. I think because if you get spoiled, it could not it, it won't right. work the same exact way. But I get what you're saying. But yeah. your outputs are going to be that much better. Like you know what I mean? It's like how you treat people. Look good, feel good, play good. Yeah. Kinda. So Matt, did you try the ice cream that he was talking about? Uh, I'm gonna get there. Uh, it, it's on my it's on my list when I return to the Bobcat community. Uh, the way he described it and the way the the owners went about making their cream is convincing enough for me to drive the miles. Somebody that gets as incredible reviews as Coach B does. I mean, everybody who we interview without even prompting them talks about how great working with Coach B is. If he's talking about an ice cream place that he goes to, you go there as soon as possible. Exactly. And then the last moment on my list was my interview with Alyssa Quivelli and Megan Swazlowski, two players from the women's lacrosse team. The women's lacrosse team makes me laugh every single time I see them, whether it is on the turf or off the turf. They are entertaining. Uh, they granted me the nickname of Media Matt. I mean, I, I don't know where it rooted from, but it was always a blast to see them on campus. But with my moment, we talked about their obsession with this kind of soda. Now your drink? Pib. <laughs> Say that. Oh my do you know what, what Pib is? No. All right, so oh my, next time you do you know? Chipotle. Do you know Dr. Pepper? Yeah. It's like basically Dr. It's Pepper, Dr. but Pepper. it's better. What's the yeah. logo look like? Have I seen it? It's, it's def- red. It just says Pib in like orange. Is there like letters. a little smiley in the logo no. too, or no? You, it's not like sold in bottles anywhere. It's only at Chipotle for some. And we go to Chipotle probably to five times out of the seven days a week. So I went, uh, we I, get it every day. I went last night, so yeah. that, there we go. Probably go Pib. today. Yeah. God. It's great. All right, I'm gonna have to look into Pib. So there's another thing that I don't know if we were able to try. I know that it's. It's available at your local Chipotle restaurants. I, I, I tried. I, oh, you did? I had like a sip. Like, you know how they give you the water cup and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to fill it with water. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I like, I, I took a quick, like quick, quick pour. Yeah. Um, it, that might not be the best way to enjoy it, but I had a quick sip. It's like Dr. Pepper, but um, I, I, hey, I'm just glad that the girls like it a lot. Wow, that is a uh, that is a great list of five that you had there. I can't wait to hear yours, man. Yeah, so uh, my five moments again these these are in no order, but just some that stood out to me. Uh, the first one that comes up is our conversation with Kyle Robinson, uh, the head coach of the women's volleyball team on campus. Our senior year was his freshman year, so to speak, or his first yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was a first year coach this year. We got a chance to sit down uh, in his office in the 
interview itself was funny because we had probably six or maybe seven people slammed into his kind of small office uh, in the record in the athletic center on main campus. But one of the things that I really enjoyed from his interview was his origin story, where he came from, coming from Philadelphia, and how he got to where he was today. I was a kid from Philly that never should have left Philly, you know, by all the statistics. I should be dead right now, you know, just being 100% straight up with you. The neighborhood I grew up in, 79th and Ogons, West Oak Lane, I should be dead or the most amazing drug dealer ever because that's the culture I came up in. So I beat the statistics because I had, you know, great coaches and great people that helped me along the way that taught me how to do this thing at a high enough level to first get me off the streets and then a high enough level to get me out of Philadelphia, then a high enough level to get me overseas and then on to the national team. And then, you know, they, you don't, people don't just give that to you to hold on to it for the rest of your life. Now I have an opportunity to get back. You know, I love to teach, and that's what we're doing now. And that's, you know, why I say the record of our team doesn't show how good our girls really are. Um, because with all that teaching, all the knowledge they're getting, it's some of the girls, it's like, it's like learning uh, quantum physics. They're like, what are you talking about? So now we have to go back and teach them the algebra of volleyball, the, the, the addition of volleyball. So, um, yeah, this is the right challenge. It, um, it's a place that'll let me be me, that I can be comfortable being me and do the things that I love to do, which is teach. So that was Kyle Robinson, Dan, and his origin story. And what I liked about it and what I liked about that entire interview is he was so straight up with us and so real with us from the jump. And I respected that a lot. And, uh, and I'll tell another a quick Kyle Robinson story in addition to that. Now, I, aside from my work with athletics, I ran the student uh, radio station on campus, WQAQ. That's where we ended up having a lot of our, uh, our interviews when we didn't do things live in the arena. And he came and he signed up for a radio show that he was going to have with his women's volleyball team. He came to every single general staff meeting. He sat there. He, he worked with our program director to work out a time that worked for both him and with us. It never really came to fruition because when we were getting the plans together, all of this happened, but I just, I could not thank him enough for just being a human and, and being real with us and just really being down to earth in a great conversation. And it was a pleasure to be able to work with him. Absolutely. Uh, so my next one, uh, this is one of, this is the first time that this podcast made kind of the gauntlet through the uh, winter sports. And when we were doing this podcast originally in the, the fall of 2018, we interviewed all the head coaches. So I got the opportunity to sit down with Rand Pecknold and have a 15, 20 minute conversation for this podcast in his office. Uh, and it was one of my favorite memories. And here's a part of that. So now 25 years under your belt here at Quinnipiac. From a personal standpoint, has has the NHL or a professional league ever crossed your mind? Yeah, yeah, I've had you know I've had some conversations before with with NHL teams, and but you know like I, I have a great situation here. Um, you know, Quinnipiac, uh, you know, is is my home. My 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 wife and my four kids. We love living in the area, and you know, as as much as the NHL is is sexy and fun and would be <laughs> great, uh, there's not a lot of job security. You know? Yeah, and. And if you if you want to go down that path uh, as a parent, like you won't see you don't see your kids, you know. And my kids are age five to thirteen, and 
I want to be around for them. And even with the schedule I have, I'm not as around as much as I want. But, you know, when you're playing uh, 82-game regular season plus 10 exhibition plus playoffs and, um, like, you, you literally barely see your kids. So that's not something that I want to do. Um, and on the flip side, like, I have a – I have a great situation where I am, you know, like uh, Quinnipiac takes care of me. I have, I have a very nice contract. They've been very generous. John Leahy and Mark Thompson and, and Jack McDonald and Greg Amodio, the, the new AD have been great to me. And, um, you know, I love my job. I love what I do. And, you know, the grass isn't always necessarily greener on the other side of the fence. So, Dan, a man who has reputation not only with college hockey, but professional hockey as well, sitting in his office, hearing his stories, how cool was that? It was it was pretty incredible, I gotta say, because you know he he runs the most reputable team on campus. You think Quinnipiac, you think men's hockey. This team is constantly in the top twenty rankings. They're making the NCAA tournament. They're going far in the ECAC. And I came to Quinnipiac to cover men's or to cover hockey and specifically men's hockey. That was one of the big determining factors when I chose to come here. So to be able to sit down with him and have a good conversation and then get a message after uh, with him having positive things to say about me as a professional was just one of the coolest things that happened on this podcast for me. He is an awesome man and an awesome coach and runs a program where it's surrounded by culture. And you can see that in the players that he develops. Just a really, really good interview. So my next moment uh, comes from the Mac tournament. Uh, this was a hub of content. This was really where Matt and I kind of reached our peak last year in terms of getting you guys the inside content that you wanted. So as part of everything that we were doing for the Mac tournament, we wanted to also record a podcast interview. So we had a couple things lined up. We were going to talk to players or, or coaches. We were working on some things. All of it kind of fell through. We didn't really have a huge plan. But in the process, I got to talk to Diane Nolan, who is a legend in Connecticut college basketball. She was currently working as the color commentator for the women's basketball team, WQN. And she told a story about Trish Fabry that I will never forget. And it's senior game at Fairfield. And Paul, about a month earlier, came to me and said, uh, I'd like to propose to Trish at the game. And I said, okay. I said, well, let's check it off with the seniors because it's the senior night. Right. Well, they thought it was wonderful. They were so <laughs> excited. And he goes, I said, then we got to call Coach Grinelli, you know. And when I called Coach and, and Paul and I called, called Coach and he said, I would not do it for anybody else but Saka. I mean, she was well-loved as a player through all of the coaches. It was so respected and just fun. And now she was an assistant, so, you know, we, we go out recruiting trips and, and, you know, visit with each other and have some fun. And she said, only because it's SACA. Well, <laughs> Alumni Hall, we purposely, the back bleachers where the fans usually sit, student section, were pushed back. And Trish had no idea. We all knew Cablevision, who aired our games, knew. And Paul came in on a horse in the gym. So all of a sudden, it, the, shock, the game clock's winding down, getting ready to start. And we started, the, the, our players and myself started to distance ourselves from the bench in the huddle. And as coaches would be, what's going on? What's going on? It's time to start the game. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and so we start, and she said, what's going on? And all of a sudden, Paul's three former uh, college roommates, who Trish obviously knew, they all went to Fairfield together, right. were leading with plastic 
trumpets and they had these like outfits on. Paul comes in on a white horse <laughs> with a Viking plastic hat on. Oh my and god. And they come walking in. Everybody is they all have the I'm dating camcorders that everything is being filmed. He comes walking the horse comes in the back of the gym. Yep. He's got a like a a sheet as a cape. Gets off of the horse, goes over to Trish at center court, drops to one knee and recites a poem and asks for a hand in marriage. And Matt, I don't know if you remember this story and everybody just heard the clip so we can kind of discuss well, it now. Hold on. I remember the story because you do. this is a story where as journalism majors, like this is a story you'll always come back to as like one of those wow like, I'm so glad I asked that question kind of story. Yeah, yeah. The story of Trish Fabry being proposed to by her now husband on a horse. It does <laughs> not get any better than that story that Diane Nolan told on that podcast. Uh, but anyways, uh, on we go with my list. Um, my next moment is the senior roundtable that we were able to do at the end of last year. Now it's, it's disappointing definitely for the two of us being seniors that we weren't able to really recreate that memory this year, but being able to get three fantastic athletes from Quinnipiac athletics to tell their stories together and reminisce about their four years was something pretty special. Uh, I always say that I would live in a shack on an Island. Like if I had no family, but (laughs) (laughs) you always say, well, yeah, I talk about it a lot because it's just like a pipe dream. I would love to be like a a, live a simple life, like have one outfit of clothes and like eat fruit every day. Minimalist. Yeah. I mean, that sounds amazing. And just go in the ocean. I guess I kind of have two places because I had visited like Nashville like last yeah, year, oh, and I like go going there. In two <laughs> I know. Weeks. Absolutely. I like. Yeah. I like. You go to two weeks. Yeah. Oh my okay. gosh. Well, I'm like moving <laughs> to Knoxville <laughs> in yeah. June, so really? Nashville is like three hours for me. But I visited over like Thanksgiving break one time, and like the whole culture there, like the southern hospitality, is just like <laughs> it's <laughs> just <laughs> such a yeah. Well, my sister goes to school in Charlotte too. I was wanted oh, to say that. Yeah. Um. Yes. Oh, yeah. So um. I really like the culture down there and stuff. And it's like, I know there's, it's like an up and coming like city, especially for like young kids. But if I really had to pick anywhere, I'd probably pick like probably a cool island, I guess. Mm -hmm. I remember my grandma telling me we had family like in Barbados, like second relatives. So I feel like maybe go to Barbados and see what that's all about. That's not a bad pick Those are two fantastic choices. (laughs) Uh, Moving down to Knoxville, is this uh, employment related? Um, I'm going to grad school. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Heard it here first. Heard it there here you first. go. Yeah. <laughs> Breaking news. Breaking news. Um, Instagram actually heard it first. Uh, it's all good. It's I did. Uh, well. Uh, well, congratulations Thank nonetheless. You. And Thank uh, you. I'm just disappointed that we couldn't get you earlier so you could break it on our podcast. But anyways. Uh, <laughs> so, Matt, the roundtable guests, Aubrey Conti, Kenzie Lancaster, Al Pelletier, great conversations between the three of them. And it was so interesting being juniors, hearing those four-year stories. Uh, and being able to sit down with them. And then my last one, uh, this is a little bit more of a broader pick. So my pick is uh, the portion of the podcast where we shared the audio from the women's basketball selection show. 
This was happening last year, spring of 2019. So what was supposed to happen on that day was the bracket was going to be shown at 7 p.m. Nobody, well, the results weren't known by the players. The coaches had their information so they could plan and start to scout and make travel arrangements and stuff like that. But nobody knew. The players didn't know where they were going to go. But somehow on ESPNU during the afternoon, somebody accidentally let the bracket slip on a side graphic on the side of whatever show was happening. So everything was found out by the time that women's basketball selection show happened and we went on the air. Yeah, that was a wild day. I think I called you, man. I think I called you and said, Dan, it's been leaked. And and we were super excited because we were offered the opportunity to travel no matter where they went. So we were so excited. And then when it leaked, I was like, Dan, here's where we're going. And you were like, oh, my God, I can't believe it was leaked. Like, how'd that happen? And I was like, I think it was a graphics guy mistake. It was just a roller coaster of an afternoon because then we had to rush to the arena and try and set up early. Yeah, so here's a clip from that conversation. Welcome back, People's United Center, Hamden, Connecticut. Is It is the uh, Quinnipiac Selection post-show. Dan Ball, Matt McAuliffe, we're here with senior Adele Thornton. Adele, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Can't complain. We got our. We finally got our rally towels, and, yeah. and uh, yeah. we made sure that we were both waving them proudly <laughs> when the announcement was made. But yep. Yep. you find out the announcement, the team is headed to Syracuse for the NCAA tournament. I mean, your your first reaction headed to Syracuse and the, the teams that you're going to see. I think it's a good matchup for us. The bracket, it's good. I think we got good teams that we could potentially beat. So I think initially it was pretty good, like all around. Yeah. And I was saying that in the pre- I was saying that in the pre-show. You have two mid-major teams here, mm-hmm. as well as Quinnipiac being a mid-major. So mm-hmm. this is a good balance. You get the big ACC with Syracuse. You get that yeah. big dog, but you also have three mid-majors, which is a good draw for these Bobcats. Right. Mm-hmm. So we ended up putting on a pre-show and a post-show. They did have the, the show as it was supposed to happen at 7 p.m. Uh, and then we were able to talk to Adele Thornton uh, one-on-one on our radio show from the bleachers later that night. But good Lord almighty, Matt, what a day that was from probably 4.30 p.m. when you called me from your house to the student center through the end of the day. Yeah, it was a circus but man those are the days you remember when you're buzzing around and that's why it is up near the top if not at the top of my top five moments on this podcast but with that being said that is pretty much it for us on this podcast so uh before we go i did some math this afternoon uh dan ball math guy yeah noted numbers guy dan ball went through this is something that Nick Trubinsky, uh gave to us as an idea that we could incorporate in here, and I thought it was a good note to kind of end on. The all-time record from the class of 2020 from when they came in in the fall of 2016, 764 total wins, seven MAC championships, and two NIRA championships from the rugby team. That includes, among some of the numbers, 98 wins in four years from the women's basketball program, 86 wins from men's ice hockey, 69 wins from women's hockey, 53 from women's or uh, from men's basketball rather, 77 wins in a MAC title from the baseball team, 
Let's see. We have 77 wins. 54 wins from volleyball, 64 wins from softball, women's soccer with 37 wins, rugby 27 and 14, one of the best winning percentages. 764 total wins since we started here in the fall of 2016. Seven MAC titles, two NIRA titles. Absolutely incredible, some of the things that we were able to witness here. And I'd relive all 700 plus again, man. <laughs> From number one, and I don't know that this would be a great question. And I didn't know, I didn't look up what was the first and the last win. I would think the last win would have been either a lacrosse, baseball, or softball. Right. Maybe, maybe, can you imagine if the last win was men, men's ice hockey over Yale? Oh, that'd be pretty cool. That would be very Quinnipiac of us. That would be a that would be a, a great way to go out on top. But anyway, so just some cool stats. Uh, thank you to the entire class of 2020 uh, for coming in and giving it your all, both on the field, on the ice, and in the classroom, in the community over the last four years. Uh, you know those athletes, and you know the staff, and the trainers, and everybody else that work with them. They're the reason we're even able to do this podcast in the first place. Getting to know these athletes was my favorite part of my week. Um, I always looked forward to whoever it was, whatever sport, it didn't matter because I knew that I was meeting a new friend. And, and, and that is the coolest part. And I'm going to miss it, man. It, it was an awesome run. And regardless of if a virus took away – the spring season, each one of the class of 2020, each athlete should be so proud. Keep your head high. Dan just listed all those wins, man. It's a lot of wins. Yeah. And that's a lot of titles like that. That is so cool to reflect on. And like all of these athletes are forever Bobcats, man. And as for being the host, it, it was an absolute pleasure and an honor. Um, I thought we represented our our school really well, Dan, and I I can't wait to see what's next for this podcast. I'm sure you're going to tell the people. I can't wait to hear the stories uh, next year, and I just want to say thank you too, man, to all the athletes who agreed to talk to us, Jamokes, for no no matter no matter how long we spoke to them for. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, I think. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with everything. And I think that that's the most important thing that I want to convey is that neither Matt nor myself take the role that we had over the last two years lightly. This is not something that we did only for fun or an extracurricular. Actually, it was for fun, but it was, it was professionally done and, and we took it seriously. You're right. Well, that's the thing. You, you know, we are part of only a handful of students, honestly, across the country that would be trusted with the kind of access and the kind of content creation capabilities that we were on this podcast. And that being said, we tried our hardest every single week to tell the stories that you guys as listeners would not be able to hear otherwise. And it was just an absolute blast and an honor and a privilege to be able to be in this position for the last two years and to tell these stories 
and to have these laughs and honestly, even to have these tears. Some stories we heard were dark and extremely personal. And they didn't have to share them, but they did. And it, it, and it means, so, it almost means something more to, to me as a host and probably to you as well to hear those personal stories because it's just a comfort thing. And that's, and it's a comfort that we were able to create with this podcast where athletes could be honest with us and open and tell the stories that they hadn't told before. And I just, I could not be more proud of where we are leaving this thing off. Yeah. You're, and I, you hit the nail on the head too, man. We didn't take it lightly. We, we tried to create a really fun environment and a trustworthy environment for a good interview. And the access that we were given was tremendous. We've been in, we've been in so many great places, uh, Syracuse, Orlando, Florida, um, Albany, New York, and in many more places, New York city, like to plenty of places. And it's been, it's been a trip. So, as with everything in Corona or in the COVID-19 culture, there is a little bit of uncertainty surrounding this show in the future. Uh, we do not know if students will be permitted to go back onto campuses in the fall of 2020. We do not know what college athletics will look like in the fall or even in the entire next academic year. So I can't sit here and say what the future of the podcast is going to look like because I don't know. But the one thing that I do know is that this show is going to return in some capacity at some point in the future, as soon as humanly possible, there's going to be a new team made up. There's going to be some, some old friends in the background, but there are going to be some new voices talking to you on a week by week basis uh, that are going to be bringing these stories to light. But uh, rest assured that this show is not going anywhere, even if the two of us are. Uh, and I hope that you'll continue to ride with whoever ends up in these two chairs next over the next few years. But please, if you get nostalgic, go back and listen to one of our 53 episodes because there's a, there's, a there's a few gems in there. Amen, man. So in the meantime, uh, we are done for this podcast. So thank you again, everybody. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening for one minute, one hour, 100 hours, however long you've, you've rode with us, you've sent us questions, you've laughed and cried with us. Thank you because you guys are the reason that we do this show, that we were even able to do this show in the first place. Um, Matt and I are off into the real world after this. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's, we, gonna be, it's, it's a new chapter. Yeah, we both are kind of in a little bit of limbo right now. Matt, uh, <laughs> Matt has begun his, his summer gig uh, cleaning pools down on Cape Cod because that's just kind of the world we're in right now. What I got right now. It's what I yeah. got. Um, I had something lined up, to be honest. I'm not going to talk about what it was, but I had something lined up for the summer that was really exciting. But uh, unfortunately, with, with coronavirus, uh, it appears that it's not going to be happening. But uh, I'm grateful uh, for being given the opportunity, even if it didn't really come to fruition. Uh, but in the meantime, Matt, I know the people are going to want to continue following us and, and seeing where we end up. Uh, yeah, so how can they do that, man? Yeah, I just wanted to say another thank you uh, for listening to one episode or all 50 that we did. Thank you so much. And if you want to continue to follow us personally, 
I am at M McAuliffe seven. Yeah. And I mean, you know, even though we're not doing, uh, doing the podcast anymore, something tells me Matt and I are going to be a package deal again sometime in the future. Uh, so you might as well follow me while you're doing that. Uh, it's at Dan ball, B A H L Matt, any parting words, man. Go Bobcats. We'll see you when we see you. Thank you again. Bye-bye. The theme song for the Roar podcast presented by Quinnipiac Athletics is Wire and Flashing Lights by Professor Click. The song used in the opening montage is If I Die Before You by Ludwig Goranson. (laughs) 